Hi, I'm Tom Hansen. And I'm Kat Hansen. In 2014, our son Harding was diagnosed with congenital heart disease. And since then, we have experienced the ups and downs that come along with being a CHD parent. In this podcast, we share some of the lessons we've learned along the way and the things we wish we knew at the start of our journey. In each episode, we also chat with CHD experts to get their stories of hope, encouraging insights, and valuable resources to give parents like us the right help at the right time. This is the Hope and Courage Podcast. Hey guys, we've got a great episode for you today. Today we're interviewing Richard Schwint. Now he is a CHD survivor, a grandfather of a CHD survivor, and a counselor and psychotherapist, and the author of a great book called Emotional Recovery from Congenital Heart Disease. This book was actually the winner of the Outstanding Book in the Self-Help category and Book of the Year in 2016 at the Independent Author Network Book of the Year Awards, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and we had a great conversation with him. Um, he Again, he's the total package. He is a CHD survivor. He's a CHD grandparent, and he just works with people working through stress and issues in their life and things like that. So he's just great perspective, so much so that we had to break the conversation into two parts, and this is just part one. But the big takeaways we had from this are, one, he speaks a lot from the experience of just being a CHD survivor. You know, one of the things he talks about is uh, an experience that many CHD parents have is we don't get a chance to see many uh, grown kids, adults with CHD uh, heart defects because there aren't a lot. Because of all of the modern uh, surgeries and technologies that exist, uh, there's a population of humans walking the earth that haven't walked it before. And Richard is one of the older of those those folks, but he kind of shares to that experience of there not being a lot, but there are more and more coming. Um, and that's something that we experience as CHD parents. Right. That, that part was so great. And another big takeaway we had uh, from this episode was the idea of how prevalent anxiety is in the CHD community and tools to help deal with that anxiety, tools for us as parents in dealing with it for ourselves, but also how we can train and equip our CHD children and how to manage their anxiety. It's really great stuff, you guys. You'll definitely want to listen to all of this part one and part two that'll be coming out soon. Yeah, and the last thing that I just it really struck me in our conversation with Richard is just his zeal for life. Right. I mean, he lives a fulfilling life. He's got a successful career. He travels. He's got a family. and He I, wrote a book. He wrote a book, right? <laughs> he's helping people. I think any CHD parent would be sitting here listening to him and thinking, man, I hope that my kid turns out like Richard. Uh, it, that was definitely the feeling that we had. Yeah. So enjoy, you guys. This is a great episode. We'll talk to you after the episode with a little bit of a breakdown. Yeah, absolutely. Stick around to the end of the episode. We're going to break down some of these thoughts and give you some takeaways to grow uh, as a CHD parent. But let's jump to our conversation with Richard. Sounds good. Richard Schwint, thank you so much for spending time with us today. How are you doing today? It's great to see you. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on your show. Awesome. And so uh, we obviously introduced you already in the recording, but... We are really, really pumped um, because not only do you have lots and lots of insights for CHD parents that might be listening, but you have also, you are a CHD survivor yourself and you are living this life and 
um, and experiencing and can speak from that perspective, which I think is really valuable because that yeah. I know early on and something I still wrestle with is like the uncertainty of what the future holds. Like what is, what is our son going to look, what's life going to be like for him? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that I think a lot of CHG parents want to know. So that's all stuff I really want to jump into, but would you mind just giving a, giving the listeners a quick background of, of you, your life, your, your career, just all of it. You know, the, the original CHD stuff happened in the 1950s. I was very lucky in my timing, if you like, being able to survive the very early years where heart surgery was in its uh, infancy. Um, mm. So after that, I had a fairly long period of, of stability and, and what by most standards would be a very normal life and a very good life. And uh, um since hitting my early 20s, I'm almost 65 now, um, I, I would describe what's happened to me as, again, a normal, happy life. Uh, I have a good career. I've been a psychotherapist for more than 40 years, been married more than 40 years, uh, with periodic terror and confusion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've had a pacemaker since I was in my early 20s. Uh mm-hmm. I've had a, a mechanical mitral valve since my early 40s. I take meds. Um, I'm on uh, anticoagulants, blood thinners. Uh, so there, there's maintenance stuff uh, interspersed with procedures. Hmm. The, the thing about uh, being an adult with the heart disease is that this becomes something that comes up in, in your life. Um, and it's, it's funny how you learn to cope with it. Um, mm-hmm. it. It's come up often enough that one of the last times I went for a blood test, um, uh, the phlebotomist tried to find a nice way of asking me if uh, I was a junkie. And uh, <laughs> I said, no, no, I just had lots and lots and lots of pokes. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, coming to terms with that stuff um, yeah. is... Uh, um, part of what you do and developing some strategies to manage the procedures when they come because every now and again and again i think this is true of a lot of people with with congenital heart disease when their children you know people are very aware of it their parents are aware of it um maybe they have surgeries visits to the cardiologist etc there's often a period of time where life is pretty normal but the tendency of congenital heart disease, and again, everybody's different, obviously, is that stuff will come up. Uh, and with me, when I was 24, I was playing basketball with my brother-in-laws and I keeled over. Mm. And next thing I knew, I was talking to the cardiologist. He said, you don't have to get a pacemaker, but I won't let you drive anymore. And <laughs> so um, I went for the pacemaker and, and pacemakers generally... Um, are fairly non-obtrusive devices. You know, it's scary when it first goes in, it feels heavy and big, and then you forget about it. But periodically, they have to be replaced. Um, I had one that was recalled. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, you know, when I got the phone call, I thought, they recall pacemakers? Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Is that what it sounds like? Yep, it's what it sounds like. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll schedule the surgery. It's, it's funny because if I look back at my life, I feel like I've had a very good life. I've done everything I think people want to do in their lives. And I'm, I'm grateful 
for having the function to be able to do that because I know that some people have much less complicated heart disease than me Mm. and some people have much more. Part of the art of living your life with congenital heart disease is kind of figuring out what the difference is. I got a call from a buddy of mine who's a psychologist once. He said, Richard, I've got a guy in the office with me. He has congenital heart disease. He's really upset. And uh, uh, would you talk to him? So I talked to him for a while and I was listening and he was very bitter. He was very upset. He wasn't doing very much with his life, uh, which is another important issue with congenital heart disease. Hmm. And I started asking him what was wrong with him. And it wasn't long after that um, I figured out he had a much milder case with much less intervention than I did. Hmm. And I thought, your life isn't over, buddy. You know, it's uh, um, unless you, you know, it's over up here. Uh I had another similar experience where I was lying in a ward bed and a group of researchers and interns came into the the ward. And there were four other beds with young men in them. And and myself, I was older in my 50s at the time. And I listened to them interviewing each of the other young men. And they were saying, so tell me, what do you do with your life? And, um, no, not much. I'm at home. I'm not doing very much with my life. Hmm. And when they got to me, I said, I, well, I'm a director of a mental health and addictions agency. I don't know that I was necessarily more or less functional in terms of my heart than they were. Mm -hmm. What I do know is that in order to function, I've had to take risks. I've had to do things that are uncomfortable I've had to do things that are scary as hell. Um, This has been part of my life. Um, The fact that I was in a remote Northern Ontario community running the mental health uh, agency was almost a dare to myself, do it, Hmm. you know, and that's had to be, you know, and I I was encouraged all along the way with this. (sighs) I remember a day in Sioux Lookout, we lived on the lake across from this thing called Sioux Mountain. Hmm. And sometimes I would go down the lake after work. And I remember one day looking at Sioux Mountain and saying, screw it, I'm climbing it. Mm-hmm. And I took the boat across the lake and climbed it. And, you know, I, I went up the wall. It wasn't quite sheer, but it was pretty close. And I was climbing rocks and everything else just because I could. Yeah. Yeah. The emotion, sorry, being triggered here. But uh, okay. yeah. Um, yeah, mostly it's been, you know, my life has been good. It, I can't look on congenital heart disease and say um, it ruined my life or it's damaged my life. Yeah, you know, in your book, you talk about this where you said, you know, parents of CHD uh, kids have to mourn the loss of a healthy kid, like have to mourn those expectations. And that is a mourning process. And that's something that we could totally relate to 100%. And I think in the back of your mind, you're wondering, what is life going to be like? You know, I think Mm -hmm. hearing you and just the fact that you have lived this uh, fulfilling, successful, active life, you know, I I think gives so many parents hope. But, but one thing you do acknowledge in your book very clearly is that, that there is struggles for CHD survivors. Mm -hmm. And and you had mentioned, you just mentioned there was three other beds. And so I guess my question is just, what is that difference? I mean, what what do you feel like is so important for CHD uh, survivors 
to be doing? And maybe by extension, like what kind of things can parents be doing to start instilling that kind of these kind of habits? Or is it a habit, a mentality or whatever it is to flip that switch to have the Richard life, right? I mean, that's what I mean, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, man, I want Harding to be you, you mm-hmm. know, in, in a few years. Yeah. And so what, what do you feel like are those big insights that CHD parents and CHD survivors need to keep in mind? I think these days, any parent needs to allow their kids to take some risks. Mm-hmm. Um, as we know, lots and lots of young people are suffering from anxiety. And yeah. uh, um, it, there's a variety of reasons for that. But, um, you know, this is particularly true with kids with congenital heart disease. Uh, and I've been very fortunate that no one's cut me much slack. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly my wife, uh, <laughs> extremely supportive um, she doesn't take excuses from me, uh, when it comes mm. to, uh, you know, getting out of things. So I've never been able, I'd never, ever been able to use CHD as an excuse for getting out of something, mm. uh, with very, very few exceptions. So, um, I've had to figure out a way and, um, and I, I want to actually touch, actually, I'm going to touch on that. And then I'm going to answer your question about the, sure. the advice in terms of finding a way, um, most kids will make some natural adaptations. Um, one of the things I'm kind of famous for is looking like the laziest human being in the world while being extremely productive at the same time. <laughs> People never feel like I'm doing very much and then say, how did you get all that done? Bill Gates has an, uh, an expression or a meme that goes roughly, find me a lazy man to do a job because he'll find the easiest and quickest way of doing it. Yeah. And I think that could also be a CHD man or woman, uh, mm-hmm. because I'm never going to have exactly the same energy as other people. Mm-hmm. What I might have is the ability to find ways of doing things effectively for, for me. So if, if I go back to your question about advice I would give somebody else, I think one of the main pieces of advice I would give to instill in children is right from the get-go, start managing anxiety. Anxiety is a big enough deal in our society to begin with, but but double that down for, for kids with CHD. Hmm. And there's many, many things. I always say we have the technology to manage anxiety. It's going to come up. And I remember a CHD specialist nurse who told me that it doesn't matter which room in the hospital she goes into, the CHD patient has anxiety. When you think about it, there's unknowns, there's surprises. Mm-hmm. There's the physiological stuff that mimics anxiety. Um, you know, I have two different heart arrhythmias. I, I have both mm-hmm. a ventricular and an atrial arrhythmia. Mm-hmm. Um, my heart speeds up sometimes. I have to work to get to speed up. You know, the pacemaker's got its own ideas about when it should speed up. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it, people with normal hearts, if their heart starts beating erratically or too fast, they start to feel nervous. You know, a classic panic attack, for example, mm-hmm. usually involves uh, some sort of erratic heartbeat and somebody feeling like they're going to drop dead of a heart attack any minute. Now, you imagine that if your heart already has flaws, you're going to feel that and go, oh, my God, you know, is it anxiety? Is it my heart? It's one of the, the many things that I think people have to come to terms with. And some of the, the things I... I myself will use cognitive behavioral therapy or um, mm. self-hypnosis as means of managing myself. Mm-hmm. Just to throw in another anecdote, because this is a, another good example of residual effects of, of CHD. I had to have a mole taken off my forehead uh, during the winter. And it was a pretty simple, straightforward 
procedure. Uh, the plastic surgeon was just going to laser it off. And, you know, it was benign. There was no reason why it was going to be any particular problem. And uh, he said to me, uh, are you okay with uh, uh, a needle with a local anesthetic? And I said, oh, yeah, I tolerate local anesthetics. Fine. And he said, no, I'm thinking the needle. I got to put in the muscle over the eye and that's really going to smart. Mm. So I said, oh, I'll just do it, you know. And it wasn't a risky procedure or a yucky procedure like a lot of CHD procedures. No tube was going to go up into my heart or through some vein right. or anything. It was just burning something off. And anyway, he left to get the needle and I started to shake all over. I told the nurse that I was going to uh, self-hypnotize myself, which I did. Mm-hmm. And then told her how to wake me up and he came out and I was just in a mild trance. And I said to him, sorry about this. I've had way worse than this. This seems a little sucky on my part. And he said, you know, sometimes the more procedures you have, the harder it is. Mm-hmm. You know, even though this one, you know, again, isn't, you know, it, CHD procedures can be pretty awful. Um, this was nothing like that, but cumulatively, right. um, mm-hmm. you know, these things can add up. And this is part of the reality of a lot of CHD kids and adults and teens lives Mm -hmm. where at certain intervals, they're going to go to the hospital and something's going to happen. Again, this is part of the life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You mentioned. Something in your book, I wonder if you can touch on it. Uh, this idea of like allowing our CHD kids to flow into their anxiety. Can you uh, go into a little bit of detail about that and kind of explain what you mean by that? Um, There's an example that I use uh, with my clients on this one. I sort of have a little pantomime of somebody who has social anxiety going to a party. And um, as they approach I get up and I approach the office door and I say, as I approach this door, I'm going to get more and more anxious. And my anxiety now is approaching 80, 90%. I'm terrified of going into that room. Mm-hmm. Now I could turn around and go back and I, the symptoms that all go away. I don't have to go into the party or I could go into the party. The exposure to people in the party would reduce the symptoms and I would have less anxiety. Mm-hmm. I might not have no anxiety, though. I might go down to 20%. Then I talk about my friends who play hockey on uh, uh, Sunday nights. You know, they're all in their mid-60s. If I were to approach one of them on um, Monday morning and say, how you doing? They'd be going, oh, my muscles hurt. You know, I'm achy. You know, I'm tired. And then if I said, well, um, why do it? Why play hockey on Sunday night? Well, I like hockey. I like being with my buddies. Mm-hmm. I like the exercise. So the that's where the quote, some things are more important than fear comes yeah. in. Mm-hmm. And so when you flow into your anxiety, you're, you're first of all, exercising um, the gold standard of treating anxiety, which is exposure. Right. And exposure therapy in its different forms uh, is absolutely the best way of, of managing anxiety. And, you know, mm. therapists have a lot of different ways of, of introducing it. But generally it involves in some way, shape or form uh, facing your, your fears. Um, that will, in almost every case, reduce those fears to a more manageable level. Mm. The trick is getting people to, to face them. Mm. So um, 
you know, I kind of did it very crudely when I was young by putting myself in scary situations and just saying, well, now you got to deal with it. Um, mm-hmm. But it's so if, if exposure is the gold standard, avoidance is the way of making it worse. Mm-hmm. So when people start to flow, um, which sounds nicer to me than confront, it mm-hmm. means that they are going forward into something they want to do and is meaningful for them uh, and and is important to them. Mm-hmm. And if it's anxiety holding them back, and this is a discernment thing, is this my heart or is it anxiety? Mm-hmm. If I go on this trip, will my heart act up or am I just being really scared right now? Um, mm-hmm. So you have to know where that line is. It's a very important line to draw in your life. You know, I can say I cannot do this, but I want to be really, really sure before I say I don't want to do this or I can't do this, uh, that I'm not saying that out of fear as opposed to um, my heart's not up to it. Mm -hmm. So I have to make that decision. But once I made that decision, I may still be scared. And uh, if that's the case, I have to find a, a gentle way of encouraging myself to flow into that uh, that activity to flow into my fear. And if I do that, in most cases, as I say, you may not get rid of all your anxiety, but, um, you know, some people have to do this if they get on planes or, or, uh, um, go someplace where there's snakes, you know, there's a lot of fears that people have, you know, we're talking about CHD here, but Mm -hmm. lots and lots of people have lots and lots of different kinds of anxiety. And, Mm -hmm. um, the more you understand about anxiety and the more you understand about where your limits actually are. You know, I got in my head early that nothing I was going to do was actually going to kill me. Mm. Um, And what that meant was that if I was playing sports when I was a kid or going on a hike, you know, I might be all, you know, exhausted and everything else, but it wasn't going to kill me. I had to sit around and wait until I got better. And uh, sometimes people had to wait up for me or sometimes I had to make my way back on my own, but it didn't kill me. Mm-hmm. All right, so I got tired, you know, you know, stop the presses. I have some CHD. I'm going to get tired sometimes. Man, that was awesome. Great conversation. Tom and Kat, back at you here. We're going to kind of debrief some of the big ideas. But Hey, guys. Uh, yeah, hello. <laughs> well, well, the thing that I think I wanted to spend some time unpacking a little bit is managing anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, that was huge in the conversation. That's not something that we've seen a lot of resources on or or had a lot of support in and or really even had that expectation with our own son that there would be some anxiety issues but um but we that's definitely something that we've dealt with right for sure and and it's almost you know when you think about it it's like well of course they're gonna have anxiety and of course we're gonna have anxiety and i think as chd parents we probably tend to think well like i've got to be stronger than that you know i i can't let my emotion show or my struggle show because I got to be there for my kid. But really, you know, there is anxiety stuff that we have to deal with. But even more than that, um, or maybe not more than that, but in addition to that, we have to train our kids how to do this. Well, his idea or his, his, um, yeah, his idea of allowing our CHD kids to flow into their anxiety and giving them opportunities to do that. Um, I just love that. You know, it, it kind of like goes against, I think, our natural instinct as parents to protect. Like we just, 
especially with CHD kids, we're constantly trying to protect them because they're so vulnerable. Um, and sometimes that can be a bit limiting for our children. They're, we don't allow them to do all the things that that all the other kids get to do. Absolutely. I think, you know, we've seen them in their most fragile, vulnerable state, and we have to live with the reality that, you know, their life is very precious, and, and it and we feel this feeling of it's fragile and has to be protected. But I think that's really just short-term thinking. And I, th- I love what Richard, I think the feeling I got from Richard was just this idea that we are thinking, we're planning, we're living a life for uh, for the long-term, living a life to the full. Mm-hmm. And part of that is we need to work through anxiety when it, when it comes up and we're not going to, uh, you know, capitulate to it like yeah i love that idea that there are some things that are more important than fear right Mm -hmm. um i remember uh one of the quotes that i read in a journal that i wrote early on in harding's life when we were still in the hospital was just this idea that death is not the worst thing that can happen to us Mm. you know choosing not to live when we have an opportunity to live is worse than the fear of death right? right like as parents i think we need to remind ourselves of that that the whole reason we are working so hard, the medical staff is working as hard as they are, is so that our children can live, right? And what's life if they don't get to take risks like the rest of us do, you know? Now, obviously, I'm not saying put your child in harm's way, but I think that there are calculated risks that we can take, that we can allow our kids to take, um, and kind of push ourselves a little bit out of that comfort zone, Um, because I really think that it's going to give them a better quality of life. Yeah, you know, it really, I think exactly your point. Obviously, we're not talking about doing anything extreme, and you need to, you know, um, consult with your medical professionals. But here's a great example of this. A few years ago, uh, Harding had developed this very irrational fear of swimming in water. I mean, it was like one summer he was okay with swimming. He's plastering around in the kiddie pool. And jumping in the pool with his with his swimmer floaties on, the next summer it was like he was deathly afraid of it. I mean, right. he would throw a fit, be hysterical at the thought of getting in the water. And really, there was nothing. There was really no substance to it. And I think from our end, I think our initial reaction was like, okay, we just won't swim anymore. Right. Like he just won't. He's not a swimmer. He doesn't want to swim. We will just totally give into that. But I'm so glad that we didn't make that choice. We said, no, this is an irrational fear. This is fear driving. This is anxiety driving. And we just made the choice that, not that we were going to make him uncomfortable, but we were going to find a way to work through the emotions of that. Right. And I think at that time, you were reading a great book called The Whole Brain Child. The Whole Brain Child. It's a great book. You should look it up. Whole Brain Child. It really, really helped give me some perspective on this. But one of the techniques that it offers is You know, there's a narrative going through a child's head and storytelling is really powerful. And they said, create a new story. So what I did is I I literally took um, some notebook paper. I wrote out a little story and and I stapled together, made a little flip book and drew stick figures even. Mm -hmm. And it was just that Harding uh, is is uh, conquers. I forget what I said. It was like Harding um, loves swimming, I think is what it called. I kept it really simple. Harding was afraid. Harding thought that he was going to sink, uh, but he overcame his fear and he swam. And now he has lots of fun in the pool. It was mm-hmm. just that. I mean, that was as simple as it was. 
But oh my gosh, Har- that was like Harding's favorite book. He yeah. made me read it 10 times a day. He wanted to read it over and over and over again. And I think it was because he was feeling empowered by it. And it was a book with him in it. He's like, I'm the character, you right. know, like this yeah, is like yeah, pretty yeah. awesome. He's probably pretty interested in a book about him. Yeah. But what was amazing, and it was not an overnight change and it did not happen like immediately. No. Yeah. But over the course of a few months, and we read that book every day, over the course of a few months, we saw that anxiety over the water start really dropping to where he was okay showing up to the pool. He was okay getting in the shallow end. And it's so funny now, like two years later, swimming is his favorite thing to do. Oh, yeah. He literally beat his Uncle Joe in a swimming contest yesterday, and it's like the proudest moment of his whole life. <laughs> right. He's just like, I beat Uncle Joe with one arm. And that was like, <laughs> his, now he's going to, you know, be totally satisfied for the rest of his life with that victory. But right. but I just realized, like, how easy it would have been us for us to just go, if he, if he doesn't like the water, we have to keep him away from water, you know, like, but we just chose not to do that. I think it's a great example of, flowing into the anxiety right right and the and the great point that richard made about flowing in, into your anxiety uh is that the more times you allow yourself to do that the more times you allow your child to do that the better you're gonna get at managing your anxiety and the better your child's gonna get at it and that's so important because like he mentions in that in the episode you know there was a nurse that he talked to once that told him how prevalent anxiety was among CHD survivors. And of course, like they've been through such traumatic events and especially these kids at such young ages, um, of course they're gonna deal with anxiety. And I think it's our job as parents to equip them as well as we possibly can to manage that so that they can enjoy their lives better. Absolutely. So I just wanted to mention the name of Richard's book one more time. It's called Emotional Recovery from Congenital Heart Disease by Richard Schwint. You can find it on Amazon. It's a really great, quick read. You guys will love it. It's got some great advice for CHD parents. That's our episode for today. Thank you so much for listening. In addition to this podcast, we have lots of other resources to help support, encourage, and equip CHD parents. These can all be found at TomcatHanson.com. The one we are most excited about is our book. Yes, we've written a book. It's called Hope and Courage, Real Life Lessons from the Parents of a Child with Congenital Heart Disease. It's a must read for CHD parents because it gives you a story that only you can relate to and valuable insights you need to live a happy and fulfilling life. It's almost ready and you can sign up now on our website to join our mailing list to be the first notified when it's ready to be purchased. While you wait, We'll go ahead and send you a free resource, Top 10 Tips for CHD Parents, which you will love. You can follow us at Tom and Kat Hansen on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, please rate, follow, and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on. It really helps this project grow. With that, we'll talk to you next time.